Enterprise Management 360, your main source for tech news, analysis, podcasts, and videos for the enterprise. Hello, and welcome to the CM360 Podcast. I'm Richard Steenen, Chief Research Analyst at IT Harvest. I write books on IT security. I work with IT security technology providers on their go-to-market, and I'm a trusted advisor to VCs and private equity firms. IT Harvest is an industry analyst firm that covers over 3,600 vendors in the IT security industry. Today, I'm joined by Benny Lakunashak, who is co-founder and CEO of Zero Networks, and we're here to talk about the truth behind Zero Trust. Welcome, Benny. Thank you. Hi, Joe. Nice to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah. It's good to talk to you again. Uh, Zero Trust is uh, uh, a big topic lately, even though I'm not the analyst who came up with the terminology or the framework. Uh, people ask me a lot about it. Um, so how do you define zero trust? Are there any common misconceptions about what it means to have a true zero trust strategy? Uh, yeah, it's a good question to start. I'll, I'll start by actually saying I don't like that term, to be honest, uh, but it's a term that's now, you know, almost like gravity. You, you have to talk about it or it's there. Uh, and to your initial question, uh, actually, zero trust was invented in the 90s, not by any analyst, but actually by a DOD organization that said, in order for machine A to connect to machine B, uh, that connection from a networking perspective is not allowed, it is blocked, and only after strong identity validation of the you know person trying to do that connection, let's say with MFA, then we allow for that specific connection to happen. That is the pure definition of zero trust. Also back then, it was called by, by that organization a black network. And that's the true essence of zero trust, meaning the port is closed, the network port is closed, and only open after MFA, let's say, right, if we normalize that into today's terms. Now, what happened is that this is extremely difficult. If you think about a typical network, doing that between all machines is a nightmare. It's not even like, you know, first of all, what kind of technology gives you that? And it's very hard to do. Uh, by the way, you know, we can do that. But generally speaking, it's very hard to do. And so what happened in the industry is they looked, okay, let's look at a specific use case, like remote access, and say, oh, it's actually more achievable to do just for remote access. So that's how ZTNA, Zero Trust Network Access, which is essentially the VPN replacement, in that zero trust fashion came to be, right? And then the misconception, well, I don't know if it's a misconception, but if you take those principles and now you say, okay, I want a zero trust project or a, you know architecture inside my entire environment, now you're looking uh, also in micro-segmentation. So typically nowadays, let me just say that when people think about zero trust, they think about at least two things now, there's also a third one. Uh, there is the remote access ZTNA, and there is internally micro-segmentation. Combine that, and you have a more holistic zero trust. And now people are also talking about identity in the sense of zero trust and how can we lock them down in a better way so that they are somewhat of a zero trust fashion. But that's a vague thing to say. It's not an accurate thing to say, although it's fine to say that as well. Not sure if that answers that question, but it, yeah. Yeah, that answers it really well. I appreciate especially the historical context. 
and totally agree. And you've helped me uh, through the confusion, right? Because people throw out the term to mean something, but they don't get down to, you know, the nitty gritty <clears throat> ZTNA and micro segmentation. And uh, those are, I would say, key components, right? And then there's some dynamic trust stuff going on if the connection gets less trustworthy, I guess. What are some of the other challenges of a zero trust security model and, and how do you try and overcome them? Well, obviously it depends on, let's let's say you have two things in zero trust. You have ZTNA and you have micro-segmentation. We can talk about the identity piece, but that's a, a broader discussion. But in ZTNA, challenges are that the typical ZTNA vendors uh, go through you know, someone's cloud, which is higher latency, lower bandwidth. So typically the user experience is less good, period. Um, and then also that's more expensive. Cloud networking is expensive. So especially if you're going off a VPN into a ZTNA, that's more expensive also, period. And then also those other architectural decisions like that. The way that they implemented ZTNA typically is a reverse proxy or a NAT. So that NAT architecture causes other issues uh, like, uh, you know, if 1,000 users connect through that ZTNA, through that reverse proxy that they have as part of the deployment, they, they all come from one IP, the, the box that I, the NATed device that's, you know, doing that. So one IP, it blinds essentially all detection solution. It can create other operational issues because of that NATed device. So there are some challenges there. Some care about them, some maybe don't. Um, there are other models specifically for that. There are ways to overcome that. So we have a solution that essentially puts a hybrid between VPN and ZTNA to benefit from both without the downsides. Uh, so, and, and I'm, I'm sure there's potentially maybe a couple of other vendors that provide a more hybrid or a, a, just an improved version of that so that you don't have that cloud latency, cloud cost, and NATed experience. That's for the external zero trust, if you will. For the internal, that's micro-segmentation. There's, you know, challenges of micro-segmentation. Uh, first of all, most of them are either hardware-dependent or agent-based or some other things like that. So that's not the easiest to scale, although that's not the biggest problem. The biggest problem is that you need to own rule creation. You need to define what can talk to what. And uh, that is very painstaking. You know, it, it, it takes a lot of human uh, hours to just go ahead and make a project like that at an organization, even of medium size, not just the largest. Once you have 1,000, 2,000 machines, you know, that's it. It's, it's becoming a nightmare to what is the allow list per machine. And there's also very static, so micro-segmentation uh, are fairly, most vendors at least, have a static approach of, okay, those machines can talk to those machines, there's no dynamic, you know, if the user is here and the MFA, now let's open that connection. Uh, and actually all of these three challenges is where we did the, quite the opposite, so we are fully automated, we are agentless, and we have dynamic MFA, which is patented, to make uh, all of those drawbacks of micro-segmentation actually an advantage. Um, 
But those are the things to consider when you're looking at such projects. Got it. By automated, you mean you're like applying, you're learning, for instance? Yeah. So, uh, how people are using the network and then applying policies based on that? Yeah, that's exactly what we do. We learn. Now, even here, people will start making assumptions. Oh, you're using machine learning BS. How accurate is that? So we actually don't. That is, uh, that's going to fail. And actually, other vendors tried and failed with that. Uh, so we actually have a very deterministic set of uh, uh, algorithms that combine together, create a very accurate picture of what needs to be open. Uh, it's a long discussion by itself of how we do that, but uh, maybe for another podcast. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so how does, uh, describe in more detail how MFA fits into this architecture. I mean, that's a super critical component of the U.S., you know, federal government's requirements now for security and mentioned in all their zero trust network or zero trust documents. Yeah, so, I mean, obviously, you know, just the password is bad. For oh, I think obvious reasons everybody understands, uh, and once you have another factor, typically the phone, it becomes orders of magnitude harder for anyone to do something, at least for the common hacker or ransomware attack groups or things of that nature. So the the thing is that for a ZTNA again, for the external zero trust, it's fairly easy to integrate because it's a gateway. You know, we just say, okay, the gateway will not allow you in till you, in, you know, uh, MFA with some third-party identity provider. Now, once you move and look into the internal network and how do you safeguard connections inside, now MFA enablement becomes a big, big challenge, if not impossible almost, because well, everything happening inside was built 20 years ago. Like, even if you build a new application, a lot of the protocols that are in use were built, you know, like even some web protocols, even some custom application protocols, or your na native, you know, WMI and remote desktop and SSH and the, all of those, and more, of course, an SMB that you need and just a bunch of stuff there. These protocols don't support MFA. They, they don't interoperate with that, with, with SAML-based identity providers. So there are a few vendors that tie into that. Obviously, we're one of them. So we can open a port on demand based on MFA was just, was just provided. And we can do that reactively. So we can see an attempt, prompt an MFA, and then after that's approved, open that port. And by opening a port, if you think of that mechanism, now anything can be MFA-able because everything is riding on top of a port. So if you create an MFA policy to a port, all of a sudden MFA is everywhere. And that's what we do. And there are still you know, challenges of how to make that well, accurate, easy, and a bunch of other stuff. And we've patented a lot of the things uh, within that space. So, but that's, that, the main thing is to MFA anything you can will just make the attack surface reduce by significant amount. And that's what you want. Now, is the approach, say, for instance, somebody sits at their desk, they're in the office, when they first log in, do you ask for the MFA then? And then from there on, they've got access to the things they're authorized to have access to? Or do you wait until they get to something 
that you know needs that extra uh, assurance before they our approach is to wait but we can also provide both uh, people kind of feel oh I am afraid to the laptop it's okay no but you know the laptop can be compromised by a phishing email so who, who cares if the real user really logged on physically on the laptop the, the laptop can still have stuff trying to do stuff in your network regardless of who logged on even if it's a legitimate human being and so the way we do it is we assume that communications happening from the laptop regardless of who is there physically is not allowed and then potentially I'm afraid and there's a lot of details of how to not create a you know burden and overhead and too many MFAs there's a lot of details behind that because the solution have to be at least that's our mantra don't break don't bother if you can achieve that and provide them a favor well and real real security then you have something And those are always intention and you know we feel and most of our customers agree on that and that we have the right combination here yeah I'm starting to get a feel for a very hard and crunchy interior uh, network architecture that and I imagine it's very very attractive to the DoD and you know uh, in banks and any and practically anybody who's ever had a major breach from a sophisticated attacker anyone yeah. anyone anyone like I'm the proudest actually on our smallest customer and uh, because they only have one IT guy and you know it's not as proficient in security as you know some dedicated security people of course and ABT group 35 so the Russians uh, tried to hack them and they couldn't and just moved on and I don't know of a single vendor that can claim to go to an organization with no real security personnel to fend off the You know an APT group like that so no yeah you usually throw your hands up and give up you don't have a chance yeah so I love that um, so where is this all going uh, network security is you know my mind definitely in a transition um, because we had the hardware gateway in front of the corporate network era for 20 years but we seem to be moving towards a You know just have a connection to these cloud uh, proxies um, do you see it always being a hybrid like we have today or will it head one direction in particular you know now we're venturing into the realm of uh, nobody knows <laughs> there are trends there are people saying you know uh, so it's very hard to exactly say I, I will say this is I'm in a belief that things will always remain hybrid to some extent and there's a lot of movement by the way back from the cloud to on-prem just because large companies they pay ridiculously amount of money to Amazon or Microsoft and and uh, you know uh, on-prem typically is much cheaper and I, I know multiple companies that IPO'd and are now moving back on-prem just for cost saving um, but it will always be hybrid though use cases for both companies in my opinion but what's really going to happen in my opinion is that network security like many other things will be more software defined so the way I look at it is that we're I mean in zero networks uh, we're creating like an Iron Man suit per machine every machine will have its own file its own protection you know uh, carry it around wherever it is on-prem cloud VM container client machine laptop going somewhere all of Each one 
will have its own network security bubble governed, you know, by a solution such as ours. That's where, because it is a very hybrid world and it is a very diverse one and you want that level of control that you usually have in the perimeter firewall, not just on the perimeter, you want it everywhere, all at once, in a click. Uh, so I think that's where things are going. This is also related to like edge computing. If you offload you know, everything and distribute it across everything as much as you can in the environment, you're you know, more efficient and more green. So I think that's also will potentially even be uh, something to shift it towards more of what I'm saying here. But essentially, every machine will have their own protection, network security as well. And, and that, that says a lot, a lot more than what people usually think about network security on, on endpoints, let's say at least. Yep. Do you see it? When you say everything, it brings to mind the idea of uh, IoT and you know office devices and, of course, plant floor devices, control devices. Do you have a vision for that as well? Yeah, we actually have it in the product. Uh, <laughs> so it's not just vision. Uh, so uh, these, I call them stupid devices or unmanageable devices. This can be factory controllers. This can be, by the way, even you know, a firewall appliance is an unmanageable device. You cannot put an agent, you cannot put an EDR. Uh, you know, maybe it can segment itself from a network security perspective, but and then the, this is an ES6, you know, hypervisor appliance. This is a storage appliance. This is a router. This is an IP camera. This is everything that has an IP address but cannot protect itself really. So for those devices, what we've done is we've integrated with routers and switches and other devices that can create the segmentation policies needed for those specific things. So that's how you do those. Now, so again, some of those will have to remain regardless of what will happen, uh, but they, some of them will diminish over time. But it depends on the industry as well, of course. Wow, that's great. What does the implementation look like? A customer comes to you. They heard this podcast. They want to get going with a proof of concept. How does that work for them? Yeah, we call it a Netflix uh, POC because uh, it's only three meetings over Zoom uh, over a course of a few weeks. So the first one is just to deploy. Next, next, finish. We show you a bit of things in the UI and you click on a few assets and move them to learn mode. Then typically one or two weeks later, depending on the need, uh, we come back together and we show all of the rules that were automatically created. Nothing is segmented yet. It's all in monitor mode, but you see all of the automation and everything that we found and created and open. And we give a lot of, you know, uh, tool guide, let's say, on the UI and how to work with the platform. Then the last one, which is a few weeks after, uh, again, one or two weeks after, uh, things move to segmentation mode. You see everything closed down. Uh, you experience the power of MFA for specific connections. Uh, you see nothing is broken. And typically that's how we conclude the POC. Sometimes there's an extra meeting to have potentially a few weeks later, just after you know uh, the, the, the organization finished playing with the solution uh, on all aspects of it. But it's fairly easy to do. Yeah, it sounds quite easy and tempting. If only I had a network. <laughs> so... Thank you so much for joining us today, Benny. I really appreciate you coming in. Also, thank you to everyone listening. We hope you took a lot away from today's podcast. For further information on what we've talked about, 
please head on over to zeronetworks.com. We'll be back next week with another episode in our podcast series. Until then, make sure you subscribe to this podcast on all major platforms. Follow the conversation on our socials at EM360Tech on Twitter and LinkedIn. And for more great daily content, head on over to EM360Tech.com. Thank you.